0: To agronomy for farmer success a podcast brought to you by osmus farm supply okay bill schrader with osmus farm supply and back here again with todd clausen from midwest seeds and todd i thought we'd talk a little bit about some things you could help growers with going into the spring and we're sitting here today it's a lot warmer than it was last week it's february 25th today Last week was very cold, The week before was very cold. The southern US is basically that frozen out, but spring is around the corner and uh, producers are going to want to start pulling their planters out of their sheds here in a few weeks. So, um what are some of the things you talk to growers about that you think is most beneficial in preparing, maybe your equipment or just getting ready for what's about to come with the spring rush? Mm-hmm.
1: So when I think about when I think about both of our crops in this rotation you know i I, I want to think about again I, w- I want to think about timing of planting I want to think about conditions of planting and then I'll, you know I'll, I'll, you also want to think about in that planting period, however long it may stretch out because you 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 may start on the twentieth of April and you may not finish until June the first depending on what the weather pattern does but but i you know I, I want to think of it in in that respect, so uh, with corn, I, I do believe that corn has a real wide window of performance potential. Yeah. We've talked about this before, but but I, I think what's terribly important is is you simply have to watch corn go into the ground in in great conditions. Uh, you mentioned the size of planters in you know, 16 and 24, and 36 uh, row equipment, or even larger. You know what that What that firepower for those number of rows gives you is the opportunity to pick your days. Mm -hmm. And and every day can can really matter on there. So I I do believe and and we can see that that a 100% performance potential opportunity with corn could be 20 to 24 days. It could be, it looks like it could be, you know, the 18th or 19th of April in this part of the world through the 15th of May with ease. Mm-hmm. So so select good conditions, drop into good conditions, deliver that seed where, where and how you want it to be. Make sure you can get it closed, make sure you can drop those sidewalls back in, and make sure that you can get all the air out of that trench. Sure. Yeah, we talked
0: about that a little bit in our last podcast, but conditions maybe even over temperatures make sure that ground is fit right like you said you don't want those air pockets you want to see that picket fence stand if you can with corn are there things I mean there's so many things on a grower's palate when they're trying to plan and get everything arranged have things ready to go for spring are there things that you think maybe slip through the cracks that guys can easily overlook that make a big difference
1: in planning yeah when, when you think about, especially as as focused as we are in in, in the seed business, is you know, hybrid placement isn't rocket science, but it's terribly important. So products were selected and placed by farm. Uh, if if you can stick to those plans, uh, you know, we believe that that, that you'll have a, a better advantage and, and a greater positive outcome. Although I also realize as the farmer myself is. Is once you get to the first of April, Plan A may want to go out the window. Uh, but you know, we like to tag all our boxes. This goes on Martha's eighty, This goes on 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 you know Jones Quarter, whatever it might be. But I, I also believe that you know, stick to your plan. You've made that decision for all the right reasons. Let's not let it go out the. Out the window now, and I, mean, right. I am not a uh, you know I am not an equipment jockey. So they're you know making sure your planner's ready to go. That, that certainly is in someone else's uh, wheelhouse, but yeah. boy, it's not mine. Yeah.
0: Well, without getting into specifics on products, because I think I'm going to have Blake in on another time, Blake to our Midwest rep, to talk about some of his products specifically. But how do you how do you pick fields and match them to hybrids or varieties? What are some of the key things you look at in a field that says, you know what? I want this type of hybrid or I want this type of variety to mm-hmm. go on that. Yeah. You no,
1: know, um, texture, sure. Water sure. holding capacity, and on the opposite side of that is drainage. Okay. And so you know those are some of the biggest and then obviously organic matter, what type of fertility level, you know, uh, exists sure. in, in any given field, but, but texture, you know, and, and drainage tile. You know, things of that nature particularly in this part of the world we get this a lot of well I, I need something for wet feet. Well that's a specific type mm-hmm. of hybrid. And, and and that type of that type of selection has has, has multiple components to it. Um, if 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 you have a field that is going to have wet feet, you, you know that you know your drainage and your tile system is, isn't that great there. So what do you need? Number one I need I need a hybrid that's going to jump up and get out of the ground. So emergence emergence capability, good quality of that seed, so good culture germ good pericarp integrities, but I need establishment. That's terribly important. Then secondly with that, I need a, I need a penetrating type of a root system. So so not a horizontal, not a not a network of a root system that's going to hang up in that top five or six inches that would be more conducive in a coarser soil, a soil that's gonna have a, a greater sand texture. So I'm looking for in that kind of a scenario, heavy, flat, black, four and a half to five percent OM, you're looking for more of a more of a coarse root system that's gonna get deeper and deeper in the soil and get down through mm-hmm. you know, some heavier clay uh, type of pans as well. And then then at the same time you're you have to constantly then look for you have moisture, you're not able to to, to alleviate some of the the, the farm from moisture, you have to think about disease and overall disease pressure. Yeah. So you're looking for, particularly the fungal diseases, and anthracnose is probably the key there. So I mean, there's just certain things. So it's it's root system, it's its emergence capability, and then its disease type of package that really helps us place products uh, at least to the best of their ability. Along those lines, with planning.
0: Is a thing that people talk about a lot. You farm a little bit. How much do you vary your population? Do you variable rate or do you change populations based on hybrids or do you just stick to a a good solid rate and go with
1: it? Yeah, at at least at home, we we do not variable rate, but we do change our our populations by hybrid if it's necessary. And really, so now you're talking about a couple things. Either a I hate using the terms, but fixed versus flex, because yeah. almost I mean most most pedigrees are going to flex to an extent. Yes. But there are hybrids that have a what we call a fixed ear tendency, and so a fixed ear tendency in top end yielding environments will need to push population mm-hmm. some to get there. And um, although a a a fixed ear tendency mm-hmm. hybrid also has extremely Strong stress tolerance because it's it, it it's going to throw that same number around, and that's that a similar length of potential kernels, regardless of what's going on around it. it. It will take some stress, but then on the other side of that, where else can I push population? If I have a pedigree, if I have a hybrid that's got a really nice root and stock combination, and then you're also going to have to make sure that you have a low a a, a low risk of green snap. You know, sure. so, so you're looking for something that, that grows at a more deliberate rate, but if you've got stock and root combinations that are really strong, well, you can push population and not then be too concerned with weight season sustainability issues. Mm-hmm. Do you see advantages to certain row
0: widths? Do you think narrow beans help as we move north? Do you think um, having narrow row corn is advantageous? I know that's been, you know, experimented with and
1: used by a, a lot of growers. What's your experience, man? I've experienced 20-inch row corn uh, probably all the way back to 1995 when I arrived in Iowa. Moving to a narrow row, so what's the concept? So I move to a narrow row so I get more equidist distance around that plant. So there's more space within that plant. So um, some of the first 20-inch row corn that we saw move to, at that point in time, farm operations in Iowa, were planting 31, 32,000. Okay, so we go to 20 inch rows. I've got more space. So what, what do they do? when well, they go right to 45,000 seeds per acre. Well, that didn't work. Right. Didn't work the way I wanted to or didn't have an advantage or might have given me a disadvantage. Then, then drop back down to 40, mm, that, that still didn't give me advantage based on the increase of cost of the additional seed. Uh, and really, I see a lot of 20 inch rows that aren't, a, aren't much higher in total seeding rate than 30 inch rows. Mm-hmm. Okay? Although there is, and there is better equidistance, and frankly, what I what I'm seeing in 20s in in my personal experience, particularly in Iowa, is three and a half to maybe five and a half bushel advantage, sure. one over the other. I've also seen farm operations that have gone to 20 inch rows that have gone back to 30 inch rows as well. Yeah. And so, so what 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 consumes you to do that? Well, and I, people say, well, equipment, mm-hmm. um, and labor. Right. Uh, so I'm hearing both of those things, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm just seeing people, some people have moved back but then actually I so saw an individual I've known oh, probably since 1995 who's been on 20 inch rows and he's just completely happy with it and it grows uh, really phenomenal corn. So, and corn, I, I think there's an advantage and in theory, again, you still look at it and go, man, it's gotta be because you're, you're taking stress away from the plant because you have less competition right. in row. Um, but it. Uh, I also am not certain that we're breeding for narrow Yes, right. Yeah, the hybrids are probably not well suited for that. Mm-hmm.
0: So that leads me into my next question. What about soybeans then? Um, do you think the narrow-row soybeans might have an advantage over um, 30-inch beans? Or do you
1: feel the same way about that? I think there's. I, I think that there's some advantages. Of course, there's disadvantages in soybeans as you narrow up those rows. Yeah. Um, if you look at performance, my experience has been nearly anything more narrow than thirty. will can perform better than thirty? Yeah. Okay, but what's the immediate disadvantage? So now you up here. there you go. Especially in this part of the world, you know you're going to close that canopy. You're going to continue right. to have moisture. You're not going to you're, you're not going to get any arid factor out of out of sunlight. But then at the same time, the, there, there's that other advantage of better cover, better weed control, better suppression Correct. of weeds. Yes. Though um, I also believe that as we see planting dates, so we do want we do want soybeans planted earlier than what we do. Right. I I always ask this question. I say, what's the very best? What's the very best soybean planting date on your farm? Yeah. And farmers always give me, well, I, I think it's May the fifth. And uh, in the end, it's the first planting date. Right. It's always your best because after that, the data on top of data. Will show and will tell you that you lose one half a bushel per acre per day mm-hmm. that you delay soybean planting because they're not they're not driven by heat they're driven by sunlight yep. and you know a soybean plant will put on a node every three and a half days from first trifoliate through about R three so the more the more nodes you have right more yeah I mean a, a pods worth 1.8 bushel per acre so you know extra nodes are worth it. So but think about this, and you 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 talked about variable rate seeding before. I like variable rate seeding in soybeans, and so in okay. your in, in your tough dirt, what do you, yeah. what do you do with it? You crank it up, okay. and in your good dirt, yeah. you back it off, so you can then insinuate and instigate more branching. Okay, so why do why why do you plant more? in your tougher soils on your farm, your coarse soils, your drier soils, your tighter soils. Because plants are going to be smaller. You're gonna have you're gonna have less stem area, so you have to plant more stem area. So back to the narrow rows, the later I plant soybeans, narrow rows become much more advantageous the sure. later you plant because they are going to be shorter, you'll get a better canopy out of it. And again, you're you are simply planting more area that can put on more nodes, it puts on more flowers, puts on more
0: pods. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up on the variable rate planning for soybeans. We've been doing that for Harlan uh, for, I think, three years now. He has capability doing variable rate. Uh, we scale back the population in those low areas where we're going to get a lot of growth. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be more potential for some white mold. And then in the sandy spots, we'll be cranking up the population, trying to get a little more vegetation mm-hmm. out there, cover that ground up so it doesn't dry out on us. And then there's areas in between, and usually these alkali rings around those little spots, and we really throw the population at yeah. that. Because there's a little bit of data that shows when you pack those roots tightly, you can get just enough acid out of those roots that the plants exude mm-hmm. that you can you can overcome a little bit of those. High pH situation.
1: Yep. those alkaline rings. Yeah, you almost get a micro environment of of a lower pH, yes. an acidity factor there. Yeah, and, and then on the variable rate with corn, just the opposite of soybeans. In your in your in the good parts of the farm, the higher yielding parts of the farm, you crank it up, and in the lower yielding parts of the farm, you back off your seeding or you back
0: off your population. Right. Yes, definitely. Yeah, no, it's uh, those are all good good things uh, there. So. And the roll with thing, I think you're absolutely spot on. Timing wise, too, it's interesting to me. I've seen some data where it really shows, time and time again, where the early planted beans are much more critical than planting the corn. We, I mean, that was always beat into my head uh, coming out of college, um, being in the industry. But in the last few years, there's a lot of data that backs that up mm-hmm. that you really should, like you said in our last podcast, if things aren't fit for corn, go plant
1: some beans. You know, get in the ground. Uh, so it's it's funny you say that because I, I think of I think that of the two crops in this fashion, I believe that corn is extremely fragile. Right. Especially in its infancy because you, you mentioned the picket fence. You want every plant to look like every other plant. And frankly, soybeans deserve more respect. Yes, agreed. Agreed. Uh, beans used to be a crop we
0: just throw in because we weren't planting corn, but uh, it's evolved in something that that's a lot more than that. Exactly i got another topic. It's really not maybe in the seed realm of things, but it's an enigma, and we always get questions on it every year. How do you develop a good nitrogen program? Um, if a guy comes to you with a question like that, what are, what, are, what are you going to tell him? As an agronomist,
1: as a farmer, how do you set up a good nitrogen program? So nitrogen for me starts and ends with Corn crop needs you need to have nitrogen available for the plant when it needs it. That, that's its simple task force. And so how how do you do that on the farm? So you think about so think about nitrogen, but think about what the sweet spot for nitrogen is and its its total need during its lifetime. So you drop you drop corn into the ground and corn gets up to a foot tall. So you're V5, you're V6. You're still not there yet. So now move up to almost waist-high. So let's call corn at waist-high V11, let's call it V12. Up to that point in time, that, that corn crop, let's call it 225 bushel corn. has probably utilized 50 pounds of nitrogen. So it's not a lot, right? okay from V12 through V19, or right at VT to R1, we'll call that a 20-day stretch, a 22-day stretch. It'll use 150 pounds. It'll use seven pounds of nitrogen per acre per day. Mm -hmm. In the previous 60 days, it only used 50 pounds, but in 20 days, it used oh needed 150. So where's your sweet spot? But also remember that corn, today's corn, Will still take up 25% of its nitrogen after R1 to to build grain. So, so you need um, you need you need that 50 pounds again for 225 bushel corn. Theoretically, I need I need 50 pounds up through waist high. Mm-hmm. I need 150 pounds over the next three weeks. Right. And then once you get to basically blister stage till maturity, you still need another 50 to 60 pounds. Again for two hundred and twenty five corn. So how how are you gonna do that? One thing I do know is you can't compromise that massive growth period. When it needs seven pounds of nitrogen plus per acre per day from V twelve to R one, you can't short it today. No and get and and, and pick up fifteen pounds tomorrow. Right. Problem becomes there, okay, well I'll come in with i I'll come in with a Hagee at, at, at early grain field and we'll put we we'll put 100 pounds on If you've already compromised that plant, you can't get that back.
0: Yeah. No, I've seen that a lot. I, I think these wide-drop um, tools that people have, late-season applications of nitrogen are great, but you can't forget to have enough nitrogen to get mm-hmm. yourself there. If you Like you said, if you short yourself in the meantime between that first application and that late application, you won't make it up. But,
1: and, and obviously, to be most efficient, you need to apply, mo- or you should apply multiple times, closer to the time that, that the right. plant needs it. Again, so you drop whatever form whatever form of nitrogen in the, in, it, in the soil, it ends up as nitrate. Well, nitrate has a negative charge, your soil has a negative charge. It's a, it's a race, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a race to get it. So uh, you need to place it at, at a better time period when it's able to take it up. My, my perfect scenario would be, I would run a weed and feed. So I would run yeah. out front with a UAN solution with my herbicide, I would prefer to have it incorporated. So really it's basically a PPI herbicide with, with nitrogen. And I would put 25% of my nitrogen at that point in time. Again, this Ooh. is my theory, My, my this is what I what, what, what I will do. And um, I'm, I'm gonna put 25% of it out there, okay. I'm only gonna use X amount up through waste time, right? right. But but I also need it, so what, what I want to do there, so I'm not necessarily feeding the plant on that front end, I'm feeding the soil, so I'm feeding the microbial activity of the soil. What, how will that help me? That will help then release nitrogen late in the season as, right. as mineralized nitrogen. So basically that early application is going to provide the nitrogen source from corn from R1 to maturity. Yes, if that makes sense. Yes, so, so then, I, so that's that's 25 percent of my total nitrogen load. But Then, I would prefer to then put it on at planting time. So now I Great. now I put another 25 percent on, mm-hmm. and and preferably I'd love to have it two inches away from my seed, at the same level of my seed. Mm-hmm. So as your crown roots start to form and as, and as they start pushing, because they're not going to take a lot of nitrogen but they need it when they need it. Right. And at B5 and B6, I'm, for all you folks out there, I'm, I'm, I'm showing you with my hand how, how tall this corn will I be. I see it, it's beautiful. But, but you have to think about it, you need, you need the roots to be growing through because at B5 right. and B6, what happens? You start to produce the number of total rows around on that. Right. So you still don't want to show it at that point right. in time. Uh, so I I think that application is important, and then side dressing And I would have it, I would like it to be side dressed prior to prior to that V twelve stage. But V yeah. twelve is well into canopy. V nine V nine is in the canopy. So basically, and, and what happens? Well, some things some people can get in trouble by relying on too much side dress because yeah. you either either you're out for two or three weeks because it's wet, or it turns extremely dry and you have very little activity. So. It's a, it's still a, nitrogen's a risk because it's the most volatile, the right. volatile nutrient we have out
0: there. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, one of the things that people get caught up in is I'm going to do this nitrogen program, I've got it figured out. Well, depending on the year, depending on the weather, uh, what kind of mineralization we're getting, um, and then you got to factor in what kind of potential you are mm-hmm. going to have it. That later application is great. And I think it's an excellent tool because you can fine tune it based on what the potential is out mm-hmm. there. Usually by the time you get to B12, we got a good idea of what we're looking at. Yeah, your foundation. Is yeah. There. So um, that's the good part about that split application. The dangerous part is you don't want to leave your plant starving or thirsty in that meantime before you get there. You want to make sure you have enough nitrogen there.
1: Exactly yeah so and so again in, in that in that massive growth period again if it's seven to eight eight pounds of nitrogen per acre per day if you've compromised it one day it can't double up tomorrow no no great points
0: well we could sit here and talk all day Todd but and I thank you for your time We've had great conversations I hope maybe you'd come back and do this with me again sometime I'd love that um, but I think for right now we're going to call it a day and uh, I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, if you have any questions about anything that we spoke of today, feel free to contact Osmus Farm Supply at six four one five six six three six five eight. 3658 Thank you. Thank you for listening to Agronomy for Farmer Success. If you'd like any additional information, please contact your trusted Osmus Farm Supply agronomist. Please make sure to subscribe to Agronomy for Farmer Success on your podcast player of choice, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and more to be notified when new episodes become available.